The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode number 65 of Parking the Bus. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu. It is Sunday night. It is back to the normal Parking the Bus time slot. Your Sunday night choice for footy talk, okay? We're back to a normal schedule, and I am, for those of you watching the live stream, I am debuting the new Parking the Bus t-shirt, as you can see. I got the first first generation of parking the bus t-shirt came in. I also got this new hat you're seeing if you're wearing if you're watching. Um, brand new lid just came in. Great work by the folks over at capbeast.com. This was phenomenal. It's got the website up there, it's got the logo. You're seeing the new logo of the parking the bus podcast right there and right here on my shirt. All right. And I got exciting news also about parking the bus. I may be able to announce. In the next week or so, perhaps the very first parking the bus road trip. That's right. I am looking to go cover a match live and in person in a, about a month and a half's time or so. Um, be very excited. It's a match relevant to the content and the football that I cover here on this podcast. Okay. Um, very excited. Can't say anything yet because I have not reserved my spot. I have not booked uh, the trip, if you will. But uh, very close to doing so, so details will follow in the coming weeks. But tonight, on this episode 65, we close the door once and for all on Euro 2020. I know football has been going on ever since. We've got Gold Cup. We've got <laughs> we've got preseason starting in Europe. Major League Soccer kicking back off. Liga MX having their Campione de Campiones uh, competition tonight out in um, out in Carson, California. We've got Superliga Argentina kicking off this weekend as well. And as always, the Brasileiro rolls on. All that stuff is coming your way in the coming days and weeks, of course. But tonight, tonight is the end of the mini-series, if you will, that was the Parking the Bus Euro 2020 coverage. Of course, congratulations once again to the Azzurri. Congratulations to Italy for winning the competition. Um we got some key things to talk about tonight before we close this book, before we, we put it in the memory bank once and for all, okay? Um, this is the final installment that will go in the separate Euro 2020 sub-series, if you will, or mini-series. I'm going to be posting all of the episodes related to Euro 2020 as a separate podcast on a separate feed to hopefully be found by people for the next, you know, however many years when they search Euro 2020, hopefully, or Euro 2020 podcast, hopefully they will find these episodes uh, both either, or I should say either in video or in audio form. And I hope um, when people look back at this tournament years from now and they watch it, wherever you watch the old footage, uh, that they will 
find this podcast and find the coverage that we did over this past month. It was, again, I've had a week now to sit back and to really understand what we accomplished here. Not just myself, but everyone that helped me uh, at Fade My Place, at James Makes Picks, at DGNs United, okay? Especially those three guys were so, so helpful for me. I could not have pulled this off without them. And um, they made one last contribution to Euro 2020 for me for this episode, okay? So in a little while, we're going to unveil the PTB Media's selections for the best 11. You've seen who UEFA picked, okay? Now come see who the pundits and the, and the podcasters and the handicappers representing this show picked, okay? Uh, I'll have that for you. I'll also have the young player of the year that we picked and the player of the tur- or the young player of the tournament, excuse me, and the player of the tournament that we picked as well. We will unveil that here in this episode and in the final segment I will also review the Copa America final. I had said I would do that. I meant to do a different episode, but life just got in the way once again. So I'm doing that tonight here on this episode and then we will put these episodes in the vault. And we will create the Euro 2020 uh, archive, if you will. Um, Also, the playlist is going to stay as a playlist on YouTube. So hopefully people will find it as the years go on. And as people look back at this tournament, I think this tournament is going to be one that will be talked about for years. I'm not just saying it because I, you know, put in the time and hustle to be on here night after night every time there were matches for nearly a month. I'm saying it because as it unfolded, it was living up to every hope and expectation we all had. There were just storylines galore. There were, and unfortunately, the final had more storylines that we're going to get to tonight that we weren't even necessarily aware of a week ago when we went live, myself and Ad Fade, my play here. When we talked about the final, you know, just a few hours later, a lot more information has been given to us, a lot more clarity now. Not all of it good, unfortunately, but I will touch on that in the next um, next 45 minutes or so, um, more or less what this episode will, will last, about 45 minutes. But um, again, thank you to everyone who watched and listened and downloaded and who followed this podcast throughout the, entire, the entirety of Euro 2020. Again, dream come true for me to do this, to bring this to you. Night after night, uh, it really, it was not easy. I had to manage things. I have to give a big shout out to my wife as well, who relieved me of a lot of daddy duties, relieved me of a lot of bedtime duties in order to squeeze in these episodes in the couple of hours I had between work, uh, between work commitments, um, sacrificing sleep. Most of the times, too, I stayed up later than I should each night that I did this show. And there were more than one morning where I overslept and was late for work. I don't care. I had the time of my life doing this podcast, especially during this competition. And one way or another, I plan to do something similar for World Cup 2022. It's going to be much more difficult for me because of the time of year where it falls in the month in late November and into December, my busiest time of the year, especially in the shipping business where I will, where I work, you know, I work about a hundred hours a week. I'm not kidding. Um, in those last five weeks of the, of the year, um, especially, you know, between our American Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve, I work a ton and, um, with the world cup slotted in there next year, not sure how it's going to work. Not, promising daily coverage because I probably won't be able to deliver on that. I may be able to build a team around me that together we can bring you that 
that's probably the the hope um, and the goal. But I look forward one way or another. There will be parking the bus coverage of FIFA World Cup 2022. Okay. And that'll come to you, of course, in November and December of 2022. Also, I'm hoping, and it's a long ways away, but I'm hoping that Euro, Euro 2024 will work just the way this one did. I look to do this again. And, of course, building towards building towards the competition where I hope to be in a stadium from time to time or in a parking lot with supporters from time to time. I'm talking, of course, about World Cup 2026 that comes to North America. I can't wait. And I built this podcast and envisioned this podcast with the the vision and the idea to build it to the point where I can go to World Cup 2026 in one way or another, maybe not in the stadiums, but be in the host cities um, for for key matchups, talk to supporters, talk to traveling fans, talk to neutrals, talk to, uh, you know, your casual fans and just get an idea of it and soak it all in. I can't wait for for World Cup 2026. I hope to do a lot of work. I'm hoping that this Euro 2020 was the beginning of something special that I can keep going for years on end. Okay, so let's get to Euro 2020 then. Okay, and um, again, let's start with the Pick'em Challenge that I ran for this podcast, okay? I'm going to bring that up for you so you guys can see the final table in the Parking the Bus Pick'em Challenge. All right. And I'm bringing it up for you right now. And here it is, if you can read it. There is our winner, James Allen Arnold, with 29 points. One point better than second place, Lucas Diedrich. And at EUNUM, 1904 gets on the podium for the bronze medal as he comes out with 27 points. And DMAC and my wife tie for fourth along with that James Mix Picks. Uh, all three of them with 26 points, all just off of the medal podium, if you will. Um, at Rimo Cray uh, is seventh with 23 points, as is Joshua Marsal, also on 23 points. Mario, that's M dot my boy up in the six, up in Mon, up in wow, I almost made a huge error there, up in Toronto, in Greater Toronto, in Ontario. Uh, he has 22 points, as does Leo, as you know, Leo is at DGN's United. Tiago Gomes. Has 21 points in 11th. My father, Fernando, has 19. He's tied with Alexi Taran for 12th. Claudio Abrunosa Pardal Brian and Brian Hanford tie for 14th with 18 points. Nuno Pereira um, and at Moonblast X, 16 points apiece in 16th place. Matthew Cadet, 15 points as well as, as Zachary Grimes and as the PTB Media Networks. Um, <laughs> account so the final relegation spot if you will uh is a is a tie up not sure what fought mob used to break the tie but it puts the ptb media network getting relegated in our own competition and then i am really embarrassingly in the bottom in 21st place with 14 points you can see i did not get much right about this tournament at the beginning at least none of my final four were there so um <laughs> it's just the way it rolls sometimes and of course, my five-year-old son gets ten points in his picks and um, in his introduction to football. And I think the most important thing about that was that he fell in love with this sport of football while he was uh, while he was watching this tournament. And I was very, very excited that he enjoyed it. And that to me is a win. <laughs> he enjoyed it. He's asked. We've been watching the Concacaf Gold Cup as well a little bit. Um, much different level of play, obviously. 
but he he's still interested because it's countries against countries. So I guess that's kind of how you get into these things is the country versus country uh, dynamic. But it was again this this Euro was so special. I mean, yeah, I would have liked results to work differently. I would have liked to have a different team win it at the end, of course, um, obviously. But I'm good with how it played out. I think this played out as a very memorable tournament, like I said. And um, I think that, again, years down the road, I do believe we're going to look at this tournament and we're going to look back pretty fondly on this. And I'm going to talk about some of the key moments that we're going to remember. But even things that didn't even make my list, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo breaking the the Euro scoring record, now the all-time leading goal scorer in all Euros, okay? That is a big accomplishment. That was a big story in this, and that didn't even make my key stories of the tournament. And that's my team. You know, that that is my team, and I'm not including that in my biggest stories. But also, you have the emergence of a guy named Patrick Schick, who also scored, um, also scored five goals and found himself, you know, if you want to say tied for the golden boot, he lost on a, on a tiebreaker. Um, that didn't make my biggest stories, but that's a big story in a normal Euro. Okay. Um, as I'm going to, I'm going to go down right now, the biggest story. So um, for me, the first, first thing I'm going to remember about this, this tournament, this Euro 2020 is the mixing of the generations. So I think when we look back, history is going to be very, very uh, kind to this tournament because we see the passing of the torch in a way, or at least we see the teasing of the passing of a torch between the generation that's working their way out of this game now. I'm talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, Giorgio Chiellini, uh, Robert Lewandowski, okay, among others. And who else? And uh, Ciro Immobile, I included in there too. These are guys scoring a lot of goals who are in the wrong side of 30, obviously. Um, so, again, you see those guys starting to work their way out, yet not going down easy, still performing on their way out. And you see the emergence of young talent. That is just so exciting. Of course, the young Generations led by Kylian Mbappe. Everybody knows that. Everybody's waiting for him to take the throne from Messi and Ronaldo. Everybody's waiting for that right now. But also, you have other players emerge here. And I wrote down Chiesa, Saka, and Pedri as the three that really made their mark. But you can also include some other young players as well. They're not the only ones, okay? Um, you've also got... A, a young teenager, you guys know I'm huge on, but he only played a little bit. Played a lot in in, in a couple of matches in in Jeremy Doku of of uh, Belgium. Okay, we didn't see Nuno Mendes of Portugal in this competition. He's 19 as well. We didn't see Pedro Gonçalves, aka Pot of Portugal, also a teenager. Uh, neither one of them were included, and quite honestly, should have been in the in the UEFA U21s, and maybe Portugal would have prevailed over Germany in that final. In that competition, if their two best players had been there instead of being spectators at Euro 2020, neither one of neither of them found their way onto the pitch at all in this competition. But you can already see the next generation of players coming through. Jordan Sancho, Phil Foden, you know, when you talk about England. Um, 
they come to mind, obviously. But it's just there is a plethora of young players. Pedri, which I mentioned a minute ago. Um, Donnarumma's not that old either. Donnarumma's still a young player. Marcus Rashford's only 23. Uh, you just have such a plethora of talent coming through. And you're starting to see the guys that want, I think, want to be at the front of those lists, those short lists for individual awards in the next decade. And, you know, you're seeing some some real, real growth. And I think history is going to look very fondly on this tournament where these two generations kind of came together and kind of, you know, want, kind of did one of these. So um, overall, that is a big tournament. I've also got... Um, the final in itself is its own story, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But um, in a, in addition, another big story, of course, the Christian Eriksen story in this tournament and the mark he left on this tournament, only playing a little bit, right? Only playing about a half of football before going, oh, of course, suffering cardiac arrest, being revived on the pitch by an automatic electronic defibrillator, an AED machine. And, um, of course, the work of the medics who saved his life is the feel-good story of this tournament. It doesn't change. Um, it, it's still something that we're going to look back on. This is a key, key chapter in the story that is Euro 2020, okay? It's a key, key um, incident, a key moment in this. It shaped the rest of the tournament, believe it or not. Okay, that moment had a profound effect on the rest of the tournament because it had an effect on Denmark, which had a chain reaction, had an effect on Finland getting their first win, having, you know, their memorable game with Russia, then going to the round of 16 and the quarterfinals and winning both of those. Denmark gets to the semifinals on the emotion and on the the unity. They built around the, the near tragedy of their leader, of their their star. And you cannot, I don't think you will ever be able to look back at Euro 2020 and not talk about Christian Eriksen and what happened in this tournament. So I think that that is a big, big um, key story. Also, the group of death that was not. How about that? This is a key story for me. Running the Pick'em Challenge, I saw everybody's picks. And so many people had France and Portugal in the finals. A lot of you, there are a good portion of people, even had France, Germany, and Portugal all in the semifinals, which would have been something to all come out of one group. And there was no reason to think otherwise, except it, <laughs> it didn't happen. All three of those teams really did not deliver. Let's be frank and be honest, okay? And I'm not going to... Turn it down to luck because it they just didn't impress. Yeah, they had they didn't have they didn't have the group stage to really get it together the way some other teams did. They didn't have the chance to really get a rhythm going because they were playing such high competitive matches in the group stage, but they couldn't get it in. They couldn't get into third, fourth, and fifth gear in the knockout stages either. All three big guns in the group of death go out in the round of 16. That is something to, to talk about, okay? Um, of course, France losing on penalties to Switzerland, Portugal losing to Belgium, and Germany losing to England. All performances that, you know, left 
left a sour taste in the mouths of fans, players, and staff alike for those teams. And speaking of Belgium, another key story, that golden generation of Belgium, and once again coming up short. Um, I think they're on the wrong side of the hill now. They're going in the wrong direction. Uh, their peak key moment, I think, was World Cup 2018 when they still had Vincent Company in that back line. They don't have him anymore. Okay, Vermeulen, Vertonghen, they're getting up in age as well. Alderveld, they're they're all they're all on the wrong side of the age gap. Um, the entire generation is approaching their thirties. This was possibly a final chance. I think they have one more chance to make something happen at World Cup 2022. But they're going to have to sort some things out in the back. Okay, I do believe they need they need to inject some youth into that back three. Otherwise, that they're going to have a short go of it in Qatar in 2022. But that is a that is also a key story. This is a generation that has had a lot of pressure to deliver, to bring something to to the table, to bring something to their national team in the past decade, and they're still coming up short. Is this the end of the road? Time will tell. It definitely is the end of the road for Yogi Lowe, though, at Germany. The manager steps down now. He, he is no longer Germany's manager as he's going to be re replaced by Hansi Flick. And, you know, 15 years in front of this German national team, including a World Cup championship. Um, for certain, Yogi Lowe goes in the history books as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, German managers of all time. He's right up there with with uh, Franz Beckenbauer, who won the World Cup, obviously, in 1990. He's right up there with the best, you know. And at least in the modern German era, the post-German unification, those are the two, the two real uh, strong candidates for the best German manager of all time. Um, of course, they're the two that won silverware as well. But I think Yogi Lowe deserves a he deserves a a statue or a a a bust at the the German Football Museum at the at the DFB uh, <laughs> at their their office or their museum wherever it is that they keep all of their artifacts. He is what well, we say in the United States a Hall of Fame manager. He just overstayed his welcome, as way too many managers do. He overstayed his welcome. And, um, again, I always say I'm a fan of term limits, whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sports. And I think this – we talked about the failure of the teams in Group D or in the Group of Death, excuse me, it was Group F. Um, the Group of Death had one thing in common in all three big guns that failed – and that is all of their managers, I think, have overstayed their welcome. They've all stayed too long. They have not evolved, and they're resting on past success. That includes Didier Deschamps and, of course, Fernando Santos. But that's where I stand on those three teams. And, um, of course, Yogi Lowe is the most blaring example because he probably would have been sacked if he wasn't leaving on his own accord here at the end of this tournament. He leaves. Hansi Flick takes over. And you know what? Hansi Flick comes in. There's so much talent in this German team. Watch out for Germany in 2022. I may live to eat those words, but I really think we got to watch out for Germany in 2022 in Qatar. Okay. Um, let's talk about the final now, okay? it is the It was the final. We have more information, not good information, that we were not aware of last Sunday when we were talking 
after the match. Okay, we now know that number a number of fans entered Wembley without tickets, forced their way in. We know there was a hooligan presence at the stadium, and we knew that police failed to keep the people in the stadium safe. Okay, listening to Talk Sport and to BBC all week. Okay, horror stories of what families experienced. Um, on Wembley Way, uh, specifically outside of Wembley Stadium. Okay, some news reporters explain the difference between the security measures at Wembley versus what they saw at the Olympico in Rome when England played the quarterfinal in Rome. Okay, um, this one particular journalist said that in Rome there were checkpoints, there were various checkpoints within the final mile between the public and the stadium. So there was a, a mile radius around the stadium that was secured. You could not get within a mile of the Olympic stadium without a valid ticket. Okay. Um, which kept everyone at the stadium quite safe at Wembley. That's not possible because of the way that the stadium was built. There are shops. There is, you know, the whole Wembley way. There is a cultural center there. There is businesses there are, I'm pretty sure there's even apartments and there's residents there. You cannot block it off the way you can in Rome. And that created problems. Hooligans found their way onto Wembley Way. A lot of drinking, okay? And I have heard on accord and even from people who were personally there have told me personally, have responded to... Things I have said, either on social media um, or things I've I've shared, they have responded to me privately saying they were there and it was worse than we can imagine. And they said they saw with their own eyes a lot of cocaine use among this hooligan element of England's fans. This is not the England fans. I'm not going to sit here and blame England for English football and blame their fans who are fantastic. For this small minority of people that ruin it for everyone as they always do. There is this underculture in, in that follows England and causes trouble wherever they go. Whether they're at home or they're abroad. And the, the sadness for much of the English public is that they destroyed segments of London. The way they, that we've come accustomed to seeing this small... Um, minority element of the fan base do abroad specifically in Marseille in 1998 we remember that Mar again Marseille in 2016 okay we we've seen it in different locations and unfortunately there was rampant dr drug use outside the stadium okay heavy drinking um yes there was there was a cutting and trampling of the Italian flag which is also very shameful but that pales in comparison to the fact that, you know, uh, beverages were being thrown, flares were being thrown, rocks were being thrown, glass was being thrown, and innocent people were getting hit and injured by this hooligan element. And then just go ahead and Google, you know, the violence inside the stadium and the turnstiles as there were just melees going on. Um, and, and this group is responsible for all of that. There, There's no place for it in football. Um, the, the English FA and English police or UK police rather, have done a good job over the years of keeping these people away from these matches when it's on home ground. But it looks like the ball got dropped on this one. And it looks like it sounds like the knowledge, the pre, prior knowledge 
of thousands of empty seats at Wembley gave these people uh, the the idea and the notion to go ahead and force their way in. I've also heard accounts from fans who have called into shows on British radio, not not people you know who are here in the United States or somewhere else making these comments. People who called in and said admittedly that they went into the semis and the final without tickets, that they downloaded a QC code online from a website that when scanned at the turnstile, let them in, even though it was not a valid ticket. There's, there's numbers of people that called in saying when they got to their seat, there was someone there and ushers found them another seat. There was not enough police available and I now agree with the British media when they say that England probably lost their chance to host World Cup 2030 with the way that this final went off. And that to me is sad because I think England is the England and Germany specifically are perfect hosts for these tournaments. And I say that because the size of both countries is favorable. You can get around easily. Okay. You can get around by bus, by train. You can rent a car. Uh, you don't you don't have to fly to follow your team, okay? Which what's going to happen here in North America in 2026 is you're going to have to fly all over the place to follow your team, most likely. Although I think the group stages are going to be uh, all the group stage matches are going to be played in one location, so the entire group will play all their matches in one location. So that will improve that. But the, you can't even compare the amount of travel that will have to happen in a North American. Uh, World Cup with matches being played from as far north as Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, and as far south, actually Vancouver, not necessary. We're assuming. Um, I shouldn't assume because I, I actually think Vancouver was off the list at first, and the rumor is now that they're going to be included. And as far south as Mexico City, so that's a giant, vast land to to cover. And um, that's why I think England is perfect. Germany is perfect. France is, is a good-sized place to host these tournaments. Italy, that corridor there is, is the perfect place to host these tournaments because you can get around. Um, they have good modern systems of transportation, good, good public transit, um, and nowhere is too far away. Nowhere is more than a day's drive. Um, so I think that those are the places where I like seeing these tournaments run. And I guess this is the point where I talk about. Um, well, I can't. I can't let this pass first. Before that, I'm going to talk about the abuse of the England players on social media. Um, one thing we, we started to talk about it last week. It was brought to my attention by I fade my play because as soon as the match went on, once the match completed, I was going to work getting ready to do this podcast. I was not up with the latest post-game stories. Um, but we now know, you know, Bukayo Saka especially, but Marcos Rashford and uh, Jordan Sancho as well, abused online. Okay, racist abuse for, you know, missing their penalties. And again, I stand by, that was a bad, bad management from Garrett Southgate to put those players in that position. Um, with all the veteran leadership, I'm going to say it one more time. Where was Raheem Sterling? Why was he hiding from a penalty kick? Raheem should have been the one taking that fifth penalty. If he wants to be the star of this team, and if you want him to be the player of the tournament, if you think he's that good, 
and you think he was that good in this tournament, he should have been the fifth shooter. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if Saka says he's got it and if he's hit 100 out of 100 in training. You don't put a teenager in that situation, okay? You just don't. And it came back to get them. Where was Raheem Sterling? We know where Jack Relish was. He he took to the media and said, hey, I offered to shoot, and the manager had other ideas. I commend him for that. Many in the press don't. They think he's throwing his manager and his team under the bus. I think he has a right to defend himself. I'm not the only one, you know, if just my my small podcast here called him and Sterling out, you know, mainstream media called him out and he answered. Haven't heard from Sterling, but hey, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, you know, I think the team that deserves to win won, but there's no place in football. There's no place in society for this type of abuse. There's no place for racist abuse. Now, what we also know is that analytics have shown that a lot of those tweets did not come from England fans. A lot of them came from abroad, which means it's a bunch of trolls. And that is the biggest problem literally on earth right now. One of the biggest problems is these internet trolls. They stir up emotions. They get people hating each other. And they, they throw fuel on fire. And you don't even know who they are because they don't even have a face. They don't even have a picture. They don't even have an avatar saying who they are. So professional athletes have come out of, of course, Bukayo Saka verbally saying that Twitter should and social media platforms should have done more to stamp out the hateful messages. I, Yeah, yeah. I think when you can censor things that are not hateful the way Twitter does, when you can censor legitimate questioning of government officials, you certainly should not be allowing racist insults to make it to the to make it to the platform. They need to have something in place to prevent that. Thank goodness that there was no social media in the 70s and 80s. That was a tweet from, from Christopher Harris at The Gaffer. He, of course, is, is the host of the World World Soccer Talk podcast, and he runs the worldsoccertalk.com. And he said that, you know, there was if you had given that voice to some of the Neanderthals that were around in the 70s and 80s following this sport and going to stadiums and abusing players, it would have been brutal. But it needs to be stomped out. It needs to be stomped out by those that run these platforms. It needs to be stomped out um, by people who see these these abuses. They need to be reported. These are abuses that need to go reported so that they – and these people need to lose their privilege. And I agree with one demand that I heard. Okay, so the Premier League, I believe it was, earlier in the spring, at the end of the season – had a, a social media fast, if you will. They boycotted social media for one weekend of matches to show the people who run these social media companies how big of a demographic they are and if they go away, how it affects their, their finances. I'm all for that. Um, there was one very reasonable demand made, and that is that no account should be unverified. And I agree. You want to make an account. If I want to have a Twitter account, I should have to have 
some type of verification as that I am who I say I am. And I think Twitter especially, but Facebook, uh, TikTok, you know, Instagram, whatever, you name it, they need to put those measures in place to protect people because it's too easy for any internet troll to make a burner account, a fake account, go on there and then and then make hateful racist claims when there's no way that they're going to be tracked down. And for no reason other than to to make someone feel worse than they feel. And I think that's really small and really petty. And it needs to be stamped out of the game. No question about it. So with that, I move back now. And um, let's talk about the future of this tournament real quick before I get to the best 11. I know I'm running a little long here. But before we get to the best 11... Um, the future of this tournament. We we spoke on this podcast about it a little bit. I think this pan-European model, we're gonna, I think we're going to see it again. Maybe not this expansive. I think they overdid it. 12 cities in 10 countries or 12 and 12, whatever it was, whatever it was originally planned to be. It was then uh, shortened a little bit when Dublin and Bilbao, you know, withdrew. But I think that's too big of an area. Poor Denmark had to fly to Baku, then back to London. That I'm not a fan of, but I think this is still the best model for this tournament in terms of easing the the economic uh, pressure and the economic um, burden on host nations. So we've seen in the past, you know, joint bids of two countries. We're going to see three countries come together for World Cup 2026. Um, here we saw 10, I think a region, more regional tournament. So for example, if you kept it in, in Southern Europe or in the British islands or in, you know, certain parts of Eastern Europe, rather than spreading it across the entire continent, it'd be an even better format. I think laying the responsibility of organizing this. We saw in the finals the type of effort that had in the last four, the semis in the final, the type of effort that needed to be put. And unfortunately, that was not a level that was not reached by the British organizers in terms of safety and in terms of, of organizational and procedural matters. That's a lot to ask of one country in our climate right now. We're on the tail end of a pandemic. We don't know what the next six months holds. We don't know what the next year holds. We don't have the absolute certainty that in December of 2022, there won't still be some type of of protocol in place due to this COVID-19 pandemic. That's another one of the stories. I didn't even mention that. But how about the players that missed action due to testing positive with COVID-19 in this tournament? That's never happened before where a, a... virus, if you will, especially one where players aren't displaying any symptoms, keeps players out of action. Not because they felt ill, but because they tested positive. Um, That's another huge part of the story here in Euro 2020. And, you know, and I I lost my train of thought there for a minute, but I also um, think that, you know, this format if they improve it, will be the format going forward. I think you 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 know you want to play these matches in the best facilities, in the best weather, in the best locations. Sometimes that means you exclude some people, okay. But 
you don't want to play this tournament in a far off corner of Europe where supporters can't even fly there. Okay, this was different. We were in a pandemic this summer. Okay. In normal circumstances, if we ever see normal circumstances again, let's be honest. We what is a normal circumstance? Maybe we won't ever see the pre-COVID-19 uh openness that we we were seeing, you know, with you know, World Cup 2018, Euro 2016, World Cup 2014, you name it. Okay. So maybe we'll never see that type of free movement again. I don't know. Um, we don't know what's in the works. We don't know what's going to happen geopolitically in Europe going forward. It, it, you know, it's there's a lot of countries with with some strong division going on. Governments could be strained, and I I just don't know if in ten years, for example, anybody's going to be interested in forking over the type of money and investment to put in place the infrastructure necessary to host this tournament by themselves. We're going to see Germany host it uh, by themselves in 2024. I'm excited about that because, like I said, they were phenomenal at hosting World Cup 2006. And I can't wait. I, I think it's a great – the climate is decent there. Uh, not decent. It's good. I mean, yeah, World Cup 90, uh, 74, way back, World Cup 74 was marred by unusually cold and wet temperatures for a summer tournament. But World Cup 2006, that was not the case. It was fine. Um, you know, they've hosted Euro 88. They've hosted, uh, again, World Cup 2006. So I think they're going to be phenomenal hosts for Euro 2024. They have fantastic stadiums, fantastic airports, fantastic bus stations. It's going to be easy for supporters to get around Germany. Um, everyone in Germany speaks English. That's a huge thing. You can get assistance in English. That is another big thing about, you know, that is, it's not that, uh, you know, because I'm an English speaker, you know, and I live in an, in, in born in an English speaking world that I think it's, it's, everyone needs to speak English, but it's more the fact that, that is the common language that a lot of people can get by on with each other. That's the language the referees speak to the players. That's the language when you go somewhere, if you don't speak the local language, just about everyone looks for someone who speaks English, especially in Europe. So I'm looking forward again to Euro 2020. I wanted to say one last thing before I get to the best 11, and that is I wanted to acknowledge the great work of the community in Manchester, in England, okay, there was a Marcus Rashford mural that was defaced, vandalized after the final, after he missed his penalty. The community rallied together immediately to cover up the shameful and insulting um, graffiti and the hateful and even violent language that was spray painted on the mural. And within a couple of days, they've restored the mural to what it was before. It's beautiful. The It's great to see the community of, of Manchester rally around Marcus Rashford. He does so much for his community. I don't care if you're a, a, a city or a United supporter. You know, if you really are up to date and you really are well-read, you know the contribution Marcus Rashford has made to the children of Greater Manchester. He has funded meal programs for school kids. He has fought with city with the city hall, as we call it here in America. I'm not sure what they call it in, in Britain, but he has fought with city officials to keep children fed and to keep after-school programs going. 
Marcus Rashford is a stand-up citizen. And I tip my cap to the people of Manchester for defending him and for restoring his his mural and removing all of the the undefacing it is the term I wrote down in my notes. They undefaced his mural, and I have to applaud them for that. It was a very, very warm gesture, and it gives me hope for the world when I see people come together. Not to come together to riot, not to come together to destroy property, to throw bricks, but to restore what has been destroyed or to restore what was attempted to be taken down. I'm, I, I am overly happy to see restoration acts, not just destruction acts. People, so many times people are united in a common enemy. It's time to unite in a common good in the people of Manchester united in a common good. Yes. They united against racism and against hate speech. But it was because of their respect and love for a player and not their hate for an enemy in this case. Okay, It was because Marcus Rashford has touched the community and they will not allow him to be disrespected that way. Congratulations to the community in Greater Manchester. Now, quickly, let's go to... I'm going to put up here for you the... The 11 players selected. This is the PTB Media Network's best 11. So all of us combined our ballots. I had everyone submit to me their best 11. And as much as I wanted to throw some of these out, and as much as I disagree with my colleagues on some of these, I am going to, this is a, this is purely the best 11 selected by all of us. Okay. And so I had, I didn't break any ties. I didn't um, throw anybody out because I didn't agree. Okay, this is a truly democratic best 11. Let's take a look at it here. Okay, and... And we start in goal with our unanimous pick for the best goalkeeper. It is Italy's Gianluigi Donnarumma, of course. Now the new goalkeeper, or one of the new goalkeepers, for PSG Paris Saint-Germain as he has completed his move on a free transfer from AC Milan. He was easy to pick. He was the starting goalkeeper. Um, after that, we we had a lot of unanimous picks, but there was some contention. And, um, well, at the back line, there was uh, a little situation that occurred in which my colleagues here selected two left backs for this best 11. So um, those of you that are watching on the video, the video actually cut out. The, 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 the image shows my team or our team that, that we picked for the PTB Media Network's Best 11. Um, but my voice cut out. My voice went mute when I changed the screen. So this is a re-recording that you're getting now. So now you're getting the Best 11, okay, in audio form for the first time. Uh, so what I had to do, I made the decision after. I did not change any of the 11 that were selected as the Best 11, okay, from all of our ballots together, okay? So what I did is once I had those 11, I picked a formation that I thought was realistic enough to to fit everybody into. Um, so I'm going with three central defenders. And these are, of course, not picked by me necessarily. Um, I had only one of the ballots. Then I weighed everyone's vote the same. So 
The three-man backline in this best 11, Kyle Walker is the right center back, Leonardo Bonucci in the center, and Harry Maguire as the left center back. Um, the problem was we selected two left backs. So Leonardo Spinazzola, as he was unanimous, he gets to keep his spot on the left. Luke Shaw is going to have to play on the right in this team um, as he was not on every ballot. He was... He was not on my ballot because I had already picked Spinazzola for that position. Um, I had a right back selected for right back, but that's fine. I didn't specify well enough. So Luke Shaw stays in the best 11 but has to play on the right. Uh, the double pivot in midfield in front of him is Pierre-Emile Hoiberg and Jorginho, of course. Jorginho, one of the best in the in this tournament. Could have been a candidate for player of the tournament. As you know, UEFA selected Donnarumma. We'll see who we selected in just a minute. And joining those two in midfield is the Spanish young star Pedri. And in front, that leaves a spot for two strikers. So uh, neither one of them are strikers. But again, we're going on who got the most votes. So these two beat out some of the biggest names. So spoiler alert, there's no Cristiano Ronaldo. There is no Harry Kane. There is no Romelu Lukaku. There is no Robert Lewandowski in this best 11. None of them received enough votes. But there is Raheem Sterling and there is Federico Chiesa. And I think both of them obviously are are uh, deserving of their spot in this best 11. So that is the 11 that we selected the Democratic way. Okay, let's take a look and see who we picked for our individual awards. And sending in their picks for the best 11. Now, I also asked everyone that worked with me to select a young player of the year and a player of the tournament. The player of the tournament was fairly easy as it was a fairly lopsided uh, victory for, for Donnarumma, just as UEFA had selected him. So did we as the player of the tournament. But when we get to the young player, well, the young player was a toss up because we had an, a ton of players with one vote. Nobody had more than one vote. So I reached out to a random listener. Okay, I, I basically closed my eyes, scrolled through my 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 list, uh, you know, through my Twitter followers, selected one at random, sent an inbox with one simple message. Who would you pick as a young player of the tournament? I didn't say who to pick from. I didn't say who else was in the birth. So that person responded and ultimately that person picked the winner of our young player of the tournament and our young player of the tournament is Federico Chiesa. He outlasts. Um, he just, <laughs> he just slightly um, beats out, beats out Pedri, beats out um, Bukayo Saka and beats out Kylian Mbappe who all had one vote each. So congratulations as if he's listening, to Federico Chiesa. Um, for me, that that's the winner. I'm sorry. that I know Pedri, Pedri really wowed people, but at the, end of the, at the end of the day, Federico Chiesa was crucial in the trip for the team that won the competition. That weighs heavier for me than a team that went out in the semifinals. Um, and statistically, I'm sorry, but but Chiesa delivered, and in key moments he picked up goals and assists in key moments, key matches. 
Um, not saying Pedri's not going to be a all-world superstar because he probably will be. Um, I look forward to watching him, obviously, over the next several years, just like I do Chiesa. But it is Chiesa who wins our young player of the tournament thanks to a wild card um, tiebreaker vote from a anonymous, randomly selected listener. Okay, I'm going to take a real short break, and when we come back, we're going to look at Copa America 2021, all right? And we're going to quickly recap the final, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on that before we close this episode 65 of Parking the Bus. We'll be back in one minute. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. And welcome back to episode 65 of Parking the Bus. Let's look at the Copa America final now before we close the book. And it is Argentina taking on Brazil, as you know, in the almost empty. They had a 10% allotment of supporters, um, which ironically seemed to have more Argentine supporters than Brazilian supporters. But it's Brazil versus Argentina at the largely <laughs> empty Estadio um, Jornalista Mario Filho, which we all know much better as its more common name, the Maracanã. And the referee is Esteban Ostich of, of Uruguay. 7,800 is the official is the official uh, attendance. Again, it looked like there were more Argentine than Brazilian fans in the stadium that day. Let's look at the lineups quickly. As this was being built as the matchup Conmebol wanted, the matchup that the television partners wanted, the matchup that the supporters of both of these teams wanted. So we have Brazil and Argentina. Argentina line up in a 4-4-2 for their manager, Lionel Scaloni. And the goalkeeper is Emiliano Martinez. The four across the back, Gonzalo Montiel is the right back. Christian Romero and Nicolas Otamendi, the center backs with Marcos Acuna as the left back. The double pivot in midfield, Leonardo Paredes of Paris Saint-Germain. Media, uh, he teams up with the latest signing for Atletico de Madrid. That is Rodrigo de Paul. And Rodrigo de Paul was a heck of a revelation in this, this tournament. He really blew up in a, in a big way. And I'm excited to see him come into Atleti next season and to see what he can do playing in a midfield alongside, you know, hopefully Saul is still there, but playing alongside Coque, playing alongside, uh, alongside Hector Herrera if he's still there. Playing, you know, with the guys in front of him, like like uh, Luis Suarez, like Marcos Llorente, like Juan Felix, like uh, Angel Correa, possibly, maybe Antoine Griezmann returns. Although I don't think that's the right move for Atleti going forward. I think that ship has sailed, and I think Atleti is much better to look to the future than to the past um, as they reinforce their their championship team and get ready to defend the La Liga title. This pickup of Rodrigo de Paul is a very, very good signing. Also in the midfield, um, Giovanni Lo Celso on the left side and Angel Di Maria playing down the right. And I have to say, Angel Di Maria, 
I'm going to get to this in a minute, but in case I forget, I'm saying it. I don't know that there's been a more underappreciated player in international football than Angel Di Maria the last 12 years or so at Argentina, okay, since World Cup 2010. He has been just crucial. You want to go back to all of these. It's always – all the focus is always on Lionel Messi, right? And even in this match – you know, the focus was always on Lionel Messi, regardless of how he played. At the final whistle, the cameras found Lionel Messi, right? But every step of the way and every every step of the struggle to try to win a trophy with, with Argentina for Lionel Messi, Angel Di Maria was there with him. Angel Di Maria was also in those Olympic teams that won gold medals, Okay which some want to call international trophies. They're not. That's an under-23 tournament. That is not a senior-level tournament. And um, I'm going to try to stay away from bashing Olympic football, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it's not my my favorite thing. I think it's, you know, as a fan of the club game, I don't want to see any of my players leaving preseason to go to the Olympics. Sorry. It's just in a bad time, and it's not a leg- it's not a senior level tournament. It's an under twenty three tournament plus three. It's not a major tournament. Sorry, it's great. Listen, I'm sure it's a phenomenal experience, one that if I had had the opportunity, I'd want to take. But it's not the Euro. It's not the World Cup. It's not Copa America. It's not even the Gold Cup. Okay, it is a rushed. Uh, it is a accelerated. 16-team tournament that does not put the best 16 teams under 23 in there, okay? Regions, stronger regions are underrepresented in that tournament, okay, with weaker regions overrepresented, in my opinion. Um, that's my humble opinion. I know that's not the popular opinion. People people think that there's too much representation of South America and Europe in major tournaments. I disagree i want i honestly prefer to see the, thir- the the best teams in the world there regardless of where they come from but i understand also at the same time you can't build up other regions if you don't give them you know a pathway to these major tournaments so it's not easy but again i don't see the olympics in that realm at all i don't even know if i'm going to talk about olympic football next month when 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 the tur- or next I don't even know when the Olympics start. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, This year, especially, I'm even less interested than normal with everything going on around it. And, you know, with fans now not even allowed into the Olympics, um, I feel bad for the athletes. But for me, personally, the Olympics to me is always a competition for the sports that are otherwise unseen for the most part. Track and field or athletics is a is really my main event in the Olympics. That's what I watch. Of course, that's a sport I also competed in as a kid and as a, you know, as an adolescent, as a teen. I I ran track and field. I ran the four hundred meters. I ran on a four by four hundred relay team, all while still playing football at the same time. But I do like that sport. I coached it even. I coached, believe it or not, I coached the horizontal jumps. I coached the hurdles. And I coached the pole vault. Yes, I, I I am still to this day a certified pole vault coach in track and field. So that is a sport I watch. And the Olympics to me are about that sport. I'm a lot less interested in most of the team sports because team sports have their own championships. I mean, if you're talking about water polo and you're talking about um, 
team handball, sure. Um, which I'll be more interested in this time around because Portugal is there, uh, play, you know, qualifying for the first time ever. But when it comes to football, even women's football now, it comes on the heels of a World Cup that's much bigger. I'm sorry, I don't want to hear about the Olympics in these in, in men's and women's football. Um, it's just not a major tournament. It just isn't. Even in the women's game, I know they all send their top teams. But we just had a World Cup. We got a European Championship next summer. Okay, for me, these are the big tournaments. The Olympics is is kind of outside. I don't like how the teams don't wear their federation's badges anymore because it's an Olympic tournament. It's not a FIFA, quote-unquote, tournament. Um, FIFA still administrates it, but it's just where I am with that. I know I've gotten off the rails, but, um, again, I'll probably come back to say another negative thing about it when we talk about Brazil in a moment. But finishing out Argentina's lineup, okay, um, of course, in attack, it is the captain, Lionel Messi, and Inter Milan's Lautaro Martinez up front. For Brazil and for their manager, Teach, he, um, well, this is what he comes out with. Ederson gets the start. Now, up until this Copa America, Alisson Becker was always Brazil's goalkeeper. And I've always wondered and kind of felt that Ederson may even be better than Alisson. But um, Alisson just got to that level first and never relinquished his position. I'm sad for Ederson that he didn't win this competition, that he didn't win this final in goal. It's, um, you know, I just poor Ederson. I know it sounds crazy, right? But listen, Ederson, as you know, came from my club. He came from Benfica. He lost the, uh, a Europa League final with us. He lost the Champions League final now with Manchester City. Now he loses a Copa America final with Brazil. And he's such a good goalkeeper. And he's phenomenal with his feet and can knock a 70-yard long ball in the air precisely onto somebody's run. I uh, He's one of the ones I'm most heartbroken for um, as a result of this, this result. Uh, the starting right back was Danilo. The center back pairing Marquinhos and Thiago Silva. And Renan Lodi gets the start at left back. Double pivot in front of them, Kajmiru and Fredge. And in front of them is a three-man attacking midfield of Lucas Paqueta in the center, Neymar to the left, and Everton Cebolinha on the right, playing behind the striker, Richarlson. This is in a, a little bit of an underwhelming Brazil side. Okay. And Teach would have to make some substitutions. Obviously, both teams made, made the maximum allotment of substitutions. Actually... Brazil only made four substitutions. They never made a fifth one. But Argentina in this match brought on Guido Rodriguez. They brought on Nicolas Tagliafico. They brought on Herman Pazella. They brought on Ezequiel Palacios and Nicolas Gonzalez. Brazil brought on Roberto Firmino, Vinicius Jr., Emerson, and Gabigol. Um, and I think Gabigol was really the most impactful of the substitutes in this one. Uh, maybe I'm showing a little Flamengo bias there, but I thought he was, he, he, he at least gave Emiliano Martinez some work and goal when he came on. Um, but again, so if you don't know the match finished one nil, obviously, 
Uh, Argentina, the winners. Okay, Lionel Messi gets his his long-awaited international trophy in a match where he was quite poor. And let's be honest here, and it doesn't matter. I'm sure he doesn't care. Um, I would not care to see the look on his face when the final whistle blew and his eyes welled up in tears and his team mobbed him and they crowded him and they, and, you know, and at the other end, here's the, this, this is the, the lasting images of this Copa America. The over, it is the emotion, the, the joy at one end of Lionel Messi and the despair and heartbreak for Neymar at the other side. Because the entire Brazil team came over to console Neymar. Why? Because, well, the rest of them won this competition two years ago. Just about the rest of them were there when they lifted the trophy in 2019 in the same Maracanã Stadium. Neymar missed that competition on injury. And I said this at the time. I said this at the time, I think in conversation. I was not yet. Um, maybe I was podcasting. I don't even remember anymore if I was podcasting or not. But I don't, but um, again, uh, it, I felt Brazil won that competition because Neymar was not there. Okay. And I've heard enough Brazilian media this week. I followed this closely. I watched a lot of the talk shows. I listened to a lot of the talk shows. And they're saying what I was saying at the last Copa America. And is that Neymar causes a, disrupt, a disruption in this Brazilian team. And what, the way one pundit put it was very well put. He said that Teach, the manager, has no tactics. His idea is putting is stacking the middle of the pitch, protecting the back line, and give the ball to Neymar. That's not tactics for the 21st century. And that was not successful in this final. It, it can get you so far, but it can't get you past even a – average at best Argentina side let's be honest they worked hard they played hard they deserve to win the match but this is not a classic Argentina side this is not like Maradona's 86 team or you know you know this is not like the 93 team that won the competition even when you had guys like Batistuta and you had a young Riquelme and you had Ariel Ortega you had you know I think you even had Maradona in that in that comp in the 93 he might have missed that one. He was in the 91 one, I believe, but not the 93. But, you know, again, you had just – you don't have a Simeone in this team. And that's not even a, a brilliant star, but that's just a star. You know, a Marcelo Gallardo, a – I already mentioned Bartistuta. There's no Riquelme in here. I mean, you have Messi plus 11. And, and you, got, you got an aging Angel Di Maria who's good. Okay, you have uh, Latoro Martinez, who's pretty good. You have a solid back line. That's a, a big difference. And then you, in this tournament, you had an emerging Rodrigo De Paul, okay, who came out and and became a big figure in this team. Who, who, who he kind of shined in the spotlight here. Rodrigo De Paul wins the man of the match according to Fotmob with an eight point one rating in this final. He gets the game-winning assist on a brilliant diagonal that he plays into space on a rope and that Renan Lodi makes a mess of. Renan Lodi gets there first and has the opportunity to clear the ball, but goes with the wrong foot, turns his hips so that he's facing his own goal, and then flings the wrong foot, flings his left leg out to reach for the ball. It hits him but doesn't, but goes in the wrong direction. 
Di Maria gets on the end of it and does an exquisite chip uh, with the outside of his left foot, just lobs it perfectly over Ederson into the empty goal. That is the difference in this match. That goal came in the 22nd minute from Angel Di Maria on, a again, a beautiful assist from Rodrigo De Paul, but a horrible, horrible, horrible misplay by Renan Lodi. And again, the the Brazilian media quick to point, and, and rightfully so. This is why Hernan Lodi does not play more on Atletico Madrid. And when he does play, he plays as a wingback. And that's why Atletico Madrid used three central defenders. And they, they thought that Teach should have also gone with three central defenders in this one to protect against mishaps like that. He didn't. Um, and I, I agree, he looks very weak tactically in this in this game. And his substitutions, none of them resulted. I said outside of Gubby Gold coming in, surprisingly, and getting a couple of chances. He had one uh, half volley on his left foot that was cleared, you know, a, a few feet in front of the line by a defender heading it up over. But he had beaten Emiliano Martinez. And then he had another one down the left that was from a tight angle, but he managed to to force a save and win a corner from. But outside of that, very little from Brazil in this one. They really did not... Uh, capture the imagination playing very very pragmatic not really in their nature um, Argentina equally as pragmatic this was a very classic South American final in which neither team was giving an inch a lot of fouls a lot of skirmishes Nicolas Otamendi who if you listen to Mr. Benfica know how much I love this guy as a, as a, as a player nowadays now that he's on our side and um he nearly kicked Neymar's head off. As, uh, he he went in on one play. Neymar's running. This was in the final stages. He went. Neymar's running in. Otamendi gets to the spot first. Parts it almost like a basketball player trying to take a charge. Of course, in football, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, Neymar runs through him. And as he's going over him, Otamendi off balance decides to swing his leg up as if he's trying to karate kick Neymar in the back of the head. Uh, he didn't, fortunately for him, because if he had connected on that, we wouldn't be seeing Nicolas Otamendi on a football pitch for a long time. So I'm glad he didn't connect that. I'm not sure what he was thinking. He took the yellow card for the for the contact that he did initiate. But again, Brazil does nothing with the set piece. And I think at the end of the day, this tournament is going to be remembered as the one that Messi got. Met the images of Messi hoisting the Copa America that earn in tears, kissing it, um, are the ones that will be remembered from this this Copa America 2021 played in empty stadiums. It really it's funny because Euro 2020 kept the 2020 name, but literally Copa America looked like it was being played in 2020 because of the situation in South America is much different than it is in Europe right now. But again, I've said. You got to keep in mind they're entering their winter. They're in their flu season now. Europe, the northern hemisphere, is not, and I think that has a lot to do with some of the the situations. Yes, we have variants, and I'm not going to sit here. I don't want to get this podcast flagged for misinformation, but you know, you got to think about all of the factors, and um, the time of year it is is also a big factor, in my opinion. I I don't think it can be dismissed, but again. Um, looking at this, you know, Angel Di Maria scores the goal. Again, I said he has been there every step of the way with Messi. He has felt every failure. He's lost every final. 
you got to be happy for a guy like Angel Di Maria as well. Um, classy finish. Nicolas Otamendi, he's also been there all the time. The cameras focused in on Messi, and I got a little upset because they panned out. When they pan out, you could see the emotion on Di Maria and Otamendi and, and Kunagüero's faces as well. They have been there. They're part of this generation. They've lost these finals just like uh, Messi has. All of the focus is put on Messi for obvious reasons. But again, Angel Di Maria, okay, has not been fit for any of these finals. 2000, was it 2009 or maybe it was eight? Uh, the loss to Brazil, he was not fit. 2015, he was injured. 2016, not fit. World Cup 2014, the loss to Germany, he missed the final. Okay. The missing element in all those finals was Angel Di Maria. I said this after the 2015 and 16 finals, that he is more important to Argentina than Lionel Messi. In my opinion, because when he's not there, it is felt. Now, if Messi's not playing, maybe it's felt as well. I guess that would be a more fair statement. But people focus so closely in on Lionel Messi. They don't realize the role of these other guys that have been here just as long. So I tip my cap, obviously, to, to those three that I mentioned. Angel Di Maria, Nicolas Otamendi, and Kun Aguero, especially. Because they also were winning their first uh, Copa America, their first bit of silverware with Argentina. And this was the longest drought for Argentina in terms of silverware in their history. So they are the maximum champion. They have, you know, with 15 Copa America titles now. Um Keep in mind, and the Brazilian media was very quick to keep in mind of this when they say how big this is for Messi. Pelé never won the Copa America. Yes, he won three World Cups. He never won the Copa America for for different reasons. Okay, so good, good achievement for Argentina. For Brazil, okay, they failed. I'm going to be a little harsh. This was a failure on their part. They should have won this match. Teach played around with the team too much. He rotated guys. I understand why he was rotating guys. But again, technically, they didn't bring it to the table. They were just not good enough. And obviously, you know, it, it came back to get them against a good opponent here, which was Argentina. And again, I have to I have to question Brazil, leaving out players like Gerson and like Scarpa, okay, to save them for the Olympics. Now, in 2016, we saw Neymar sit out of the Copa America Centenario because of the Olympics, which I thought was ridiculous at the time, but I understood because the Olympics were in Rio. Gerson is not going to the Olympics because guess what? He got a transfer for many, many, many millions from Flamengo to Marseille. And Marseille said, you're not going to the Olympics. Because in Europe, you're not going to the Olympics if you're a key guy, if you're on a big team. That's just the way it works. They, The Olympics is not a big tournament if you're playing your club football in Europe. If you're on a big club in Europe, you're most likely not going to the Olympics. Gerson was kept out of this Copa America to go to the Olympics. And then he found out he, he this way he didn't go to either. Scarpa, the, the Palmeiras uh, player, he was left out to go to the Olympics. 
I don't know. I think both of those guys would have been very useful in this Brazil team, especially Gerson in the midfield. He is that box-to-box presence that they lack, okay? Of course, they're playing with the double pivot, which I don't think suits their football. Um, but, you know, this is this is the way that they, they view the game. Um, they view the Olympics as more important than I do or as, you know, European countries do. So this is how they broke it up. But, but unfortunately, they came up short here for the Brazilians. Um, unfortunately for the Brazilians, they came up short. And it also brings up a point of there's a large disconnect right now between Brazilian, the Brazilian public and, and um, their national team, okay? There is a big, a big disconnect. And I've heard this discussed at length on various platforms and various shows, but the disconnect is that the Brazilian public is not that aware of who most of these guys are on this Brazil team and thus is less behind them. Okay. This is almost an all European based 11 for Brazil and the average Brazilian fans are not watching European football. Only the most diehard are the average Brazilian is supporting their local club, which is good or supporting their Brazilian club. But the CBF, the Brazilian Federation's insistence on running Brasileirão straight through international windows, especially these major tournaments, is drawing the ire and drawing anger from fans, Flamengo fans, for example, but not only, uh, where the national team's taking four key guys away from Flamengo. Flamengo's dropping points. Meanwhile, their guys are sitting on the bench at Copa America, not not nearly as important to Brazil as they are to Flamengo. And this has turned a lot of Brazilian fans off to their national team, to their Seleção. Of course, when the World Cup comes around, it's different. Everybody gets behind them. But in the meantime, the Brazilian public is not as enamored with this national team as they used to be. Factor in the COVID story okay in the situation of covid in brazil m- many many people don't believe this tournament should have taken place whether it's media fans you name it they they found it wrong that this tournament went ahead now i understand why this tournament went ahead there are deals made there are contracts signed there was money exchanged a product had to be delivered and it was in the end but um this this raises you know to the lack of support that the Brazilian national team is getting from their fan base right now, culturally especially. It, it, you have two different worlds in Brazilian football, and they're not coming together well. And again, I, the tactics just don't cut it. it it's far too ancient. And the idea that you're just going to give the ball to Neymar and he's going to resolve every problem for you is foolish. And they came up to an opponent that was was basically dared them to allow to beat them with anybody else and Brazil did not find anybody else. So Argentina wins the competition. Okay. Let's look at the team of the tournament. Okay. I do have it here. So let me put it up on the screen for those of you watching. If you're still with me, this is the very final (laughs) moments of the show here. Thank you for staying with me this, this whole way. And I'm going to put up right here, as you should be able to see on your screen now, 
There is the team of the tournament, and the goalkeeper is Emiliano Martinez. The three, and they also went with a three in the back. This is courtesy of SofaScore, of course, uh, and this is all based on analytics and on, on player ratings. Eder Militao, and, who didn't even play in the final, by the way, Eder Militao and Thiago Silva are the, the representatives in the back line for, from Brazil. They're joined by Nicolas Otamendi of Argentina, the four in midfield, Juan Cuadrado of Colombia, Cajmiro of Brazil. Um, you've got Vecino of Matias Vecino of, of uh, Uruguay, and you've got Luis Diaz of Colombia. Um, making up the midfield and then the attacking three, no surprises. It's the three biggest names in this tournament, probably. So, uh, well, aside from Luis Suarez, perhaps it's Lionel Messi, it is Edison Cavani, and it is Neymar. And Lionel Messi with the highest average rating makes him the player of the tournament. And my friends, that does it for. Euro 2020 and Copa America 2021 here on the Parking the Bus podcast. And it's been a long one. This closes the book. Thank you for being here with me through this whole uh, expanded episode. Um, like I said, lots coming your way. If you're listening to this way in the future, thank you for, for going back to 2020 and listening to me here. And um, I hope you enjoyed following the tournament along. I, uh, everyone who listened throughout this tournament, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, again, we had some nights with some really, really good views. Um, the podcast is up. And like I said, look for it soon. The entire series will be available separate in its own podcast feed very soon, within a week or so, hopefully. And I will obviously promote that on social media, and I'll announce it in future episodes of the Parking the Bus podcast. Got a lot coming up in the next week, okay? Um, I owe you guys a lot of content, so we got... Um, a Copa Libertadores slash Copa uh, Sudamericana review. The round of 16 kicked off this past week. They don't waste any time in South America. The Copa America ends. The Libertadores and the Sudamericana resumes almost immediately. Okay. So that'll be the next episode coming your way is, is a recap of those two uh, competitions. Then we have we have a recap of the Brasileirão round 12, I believe we're at now. Um, we got the Brasileirão plus the... The uh, Argen- the Super League Argentina kicked off, like we said. Liga MX uh, had their Super Cup tonight. Uh, Leon took on Cruz Azul for to name themselves Campeón de los Campeones, uh, the champion of the champions. So that will cover in the next couple of days. Major League Soccer is back in in action. European preseason is kicking off. We'll be we'll we'll, we'll be staying away from the European game for a couple of weeks until they get going. Although I shouldn't say that because. UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, and Conference League have all played their first round preliminary matchups. So I will, in one of these episodes, be reading you the results of those of those early rounds. And, of course, um, the CONCACAF Gold Cup in full swing right now. People have asked me about it. Yes, there will be uh, episodes regarding it. Um, the group stage is finishing up now. When the group stage is complete, I'll do a, a group stage recap. Next weekend, we start the quarterfinals, and maybe there'll be some more uh, in-depth coverage, maybe more um, individually focused on individual matches. 
uh, as we build toward the final later um, on in the first weekend of August. So um, the United States earlier today was victorious against Canada in a match they were completely outplayed in. Um, hard luck for the Canadian side who lost Kyle Laren to an injury. Hopefully he's going to be all right for the knockout stages. Also, uh, Alfonso Davies has returned to Europe due to injury to rehab at Bayern Munich. Stefano Stacchio was out of this match on a yellow card suspension. So as much as, yes, the U.S. is not was not playing their full team, Canada was missing a lot of their first-choice players as well. Um, the two of them will go to the quarterfinals, though, and we'll see how it matches up. I do expect both of them to get into the semifinals as they're both better than Jamaica and Costa uh, Jamaica and Costa Rica in my opinion. They don't know yet who will play who because that round that group will conclude on Tuesday night. So look for a Gold Cup recap maybe on Thursday. Um here on the park in the bus it may be audio only. I may be returning for a little bit to do audio only episodes. That's because again I'm having an issue with my internet provider and um well the house I'm in right now belongs to my parents, and they're coming home from Portugal. Well, it was supposed to be today, but they'll be home tomorrow. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, Europeans on strike again. Yeah, there was a strike at the Lisbon airport. The ground crew was on strike today, so they were not able to come home. So I got to get an extra episode in here in their empty house with their super fast internet. Um, so just keep an eye to the Twitter, to the the instagram and the website as well and i'll i'll have more content of course if you're listening make sure you subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you're listening and if you're watching on youtube right there hit the subscribe button hit the little bell next to it so you get alerted when i go live and um, of course check out the website www.parkinthebusmedia.com i have it on my t-shirt right here the new park in the bus t-shirt okay and i will see you soon maybe tomorrow um we got copa libertadores and copa sudamericana to recap thank you everybody this is the mr mike agustinio signing off don't forget to follow on twitter and instagram at ptv underscore media thank you for everybody who followed this little sub series this little mini series of euro 2020 i say goodbye to euro 2020 for those of you on the podcast you're gonna hear for one last time you're gonna hear Martin Garrix's um, We Are the People We've Been Waiting For, featuring Bono, of course. The anthem of Euro 2020, one last time here on the Park in the Bus podcast. See you next time, and thank you for listening as always. In a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess? I feel your heart Beating in my chest You come with me Tonight is gonna be the one Cause you fail and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad but you might just be right
broken church Heart that hurts is a heart that works From a broken place, that's where the victory's won Cause you fail, no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad, but you might just be right 